0: Uh, hi, everybody! It's Reconcilable Differences. How you doing, John? That's our intro now. You uh, you say the name of the show. Hi, Listen, everybody! It's Reconcilable gonna Differences. Ca- if I'm going
1: to carry you, you, you can't complain that it's not
0: comfortable. No, I'm just I'm just trying to discern a pattern. Humans are pattern matching machines. Mm, that's what Pearl is. Yeah. Well, look what happened in Russia. Am I right? Yeah. Did you hear? You hear? Uh, I don't know if you can hear it on this mic. It's uh, the thunder over here. No. Twice we've got uh something coming up on my phone telling me severe thunderstorm warnings. Just throwing that out there. Oh we'll talk well we can talk fast. We'll talk fast. Yeah, we'll see. I I mean it'll probably at these storms pass quickly, but the the reason I bring it up is because oh there, come on, you hear that, right? Oh my god. Yes. Awesome. All right. Anyway, uh the there's a dark brought, and stormy night. Yeah, the reason I bring it up is because uh my wife said something, she was talking to the dog, as you do. Um, but used a use a, a phrase that we didn't use in my household growing up. I'm wondering if it's regional or just a family thing. What she said about the weather outside to the dog um, was that it was storming. Storming with a drop G. Or storming, either one. I'm just, you know. I like, think I've heard that.
1: I feel I like mean, you, you, you feel
0: like, yeah, you know, you heard, like, yeah, that sounds like something we'd say. I mean, like storm is a noun and now we're going to, Change it into a verb, I guess. Said Storman. Storman. Mm-hmm. and then of course that because I'm a person of a certain age brought to mind what? When am I gonna free Norman Schwarzkopf? Yes, that's exactly what. I have his trading card, <laughs> and it's just <laughs> terrible. Storman Norman, yeah, made me think how how awful it is that we had like you know William the Refrigerator Perry uh, style pop culture uh, action figure character for a general in the army bombing a bunch of ugh, just all right
1: i know anyway. i got I saw so my friend uh, michael uh we used to give each other weird gifts and one time he gave me a complete set of desert storm desert shield desert storm trading cards mm-hmm. so i i do have a storming norming uh card. that's his what's his name in ellis island i i think i do have his card it's also got a lot of cards of just like you know machines of death it's just got a lot of planes and trains and yeah. automobiles I mean, no, and stuff
0: nothing against people in the armed forces but i feel not like at all that, no. like thank you for your it, service it, if anything it, it just felt like the kind of like isn't this a fun person from pop culture you know hey Stormin norman schwarzkopf he's our good old guy out there like you have you have a little trade literal trading card and i feel like that's not the right level of what's the right word solemnity seriousness yeah no i, for I the agree armed forces
1: Yeah. I, yeah. Boy, I don't want to get myself in trouble here. Yeah. Um, you know, it's really important to have a well-prepared military and police force. Um, yes, I think that's weird too. I also remember, it's so funny now when we look back in retrospect at the former president and all the, uh, he, remember how a former president used to, uh, talk about how all the generals loved him. He
0: loved the generals straight out of central casting. I, I had to uh, do a brain gear shift to figure out who the hell you were talking about. And then once Good. you said all the generals loved him. And okay, I, I, I mostly, um, my brain is rapidly in the process of just really trying to work its way through the paper with a too old eraser or to or totally erase that from my memory. But yeah, it's still in there. Yes, I do recall that. Yeah. I, I watched his address in Arizona the other night. It was a heck of a
1: thing. Why would you do that? So you don't have to. I You don't have to. No one no, has to. I no, don't, I, I don't do that. I'm a sin eater. Mm-hmm. I'm eating sins for you, my wife, all the people, you know, trying to change I thought, history. I thought your wife is the
0: one. She's on sad Twitter. She's, she's, she's on got sad a whole Twitter. dedicated Twitter
1: for that. Yeah, but I'm on live streaming YouTube, which is worse. All but right. But there's there was, um I feel like there was one, I want to say it was a phone call. I don't think it was visual. I think it was just audio, but it was him announcing all of these generals that would be joining uh, his administration cabinet administration all of his but you know and he would go through and he would say you know i'm trying to remember the one that comes straight to mind is uh you know uh, mattis uh, mad dog mattis he's called it's like i man i don't know if i really want somebody leading troops who's known as a mad dog
0: yeah you know now they'll hate him but you know you don't get to pick your nickname i suppose but yeah in, in general anything that uh that former person approves of and excited about is just probably terrible. So that's a
1: good, is a good sign. But maybe if you got like a cute name or something that was, uh, that would humble you, you think of something like what, uh, gunnery Sergeant Hartman would give you as a nickname, you know, in act one, a full metal jacket. Mm-hmm. So maybe you could be like, you know, you know wet pants, Millie <laughs> or, 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 or <laughs> kicked his drawers, Mattis or something like that. Something that you know keep you really centered and humble about being part of
0: an elaborate killing machine. Yeah. According to Wikipedia, uh Storm and Norman's other nickname, besides Storm and Norman, was can you guess about looking it up? Um let's see, Schwarzkopf, I think means white head.
1: Or wait, blackhead, Black. white head, Vice. Yeah. yeah, Vice and okay. Uh I jeez, I feel like I should know it, but I don't think I, it's probably on my trading card, but I don't have it here. What what was his other nickname? The Bear the bear how did he does it have his rbis and
0: uh i mean i think maybe on base percentage person, and stuff like that i'm wondering if the the uh other connotations of being a bear were present in the mind of the person who came up with this i'm saying i'm thinking no
1: that's a tough nickname that was my um my uh my wife's late father's nickname everybody called him bear i think that
0: was a much more common sort of nickname for a man in that time <laughs> Oh, refresh my memory, 70s man. Smokey yeah. and the Bandit, but there was BJ and the Bear, right? You had Smokey
1: and the Bandit, and you had BJ and the Bear. Mm-hmm. Uh, Smokey was, uh, I believe, uh, Jackie Gleason.
0: BJ and the Bear, which... Wait, oh, so hang on ba- a
1: minute. G- BJ, wait, G- wait, hang on, hang on. Let me get this right. So, Smokey and the Bandit, let me get this right. The Bear, I'm B- let's see, I'm BJ, McKay, and this is my best friend, Bear. His uh, Bear was, I believe, a chimp. It was during the um, 18-wheel truck CB phase of probably Mm -hmm. 1978, and NBC rushed out a show called BJ and the Bear, which sounds like a drink special at, you know, someplace here in town. Uh, BJ McCain is my best friend, Bear. And uh, did did Bear have a hat? I feel he had a hat. He sure did. Did that proceed every which way but loose?
0: Or was it concomitant? Uh, I think it's got to be before, right? Because that was an orangutan. Orangutan. That was was Clyde. (laughs) i don't know how to pronounce that word it's like sherbert <laughs> no no i'm not
1: going there no and i think clyde was uh what was he a member of that uh that that uh, ill-fated animal troop uh berenstain's bears barzini's buffoons <laughs> there was some kind of a collection of mistreated uh animals uh, of which uh, i believe clyde was uh was part of the retinue as you say yeah clyde remember he do that thing where he'd say stick them up and then clyde mm-hmm. would put his hands up in there because that's what he was sure trained would. to do
0: remember that yeah that was yeah <laughs> i mean i guess little kids can't be blamed for enjoying uh movies with animals in them but it's hard to watch them as an adult and not just spend your entire time thinking about this poor animal oh i had a very scarring ex- now what i got i got a, I got a lot of threads open here do you remember
1: uh there was that guy who became famous as the trainer i feel like he became famous because he was the trainer of the dog we knew as benji and his i think his name was frank mm-hmm. in was benji one dog oh i don't know i, I imagine there's continuity because there were lots of lassies right well, I know there's two, um, they had to replace, um, oh, who's the dog on nine, nine, you know, a uh, Holtz dog. Oh, what's I his name? Know, Butter, I know, Buttercup. I, I don't know. Uh, no, come on. What's his dog? Him and Kevin. What's their dog's name? Anyway, that dog got replaced by his sister. My daughter told me.
0: <laughs> I, I'm looking at the Benji movies. Um, do you remember what the second proper Benji movie was titled? So the first one was Benji 1974.
1: Uh, wait, 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 let me guess. was a colon. It's something like Benji two breaking loose or something. <laughs>
0: i remember this oh, title hawaiian it did, hijinks what was it It never struck me as funny until i read it in oh oh, oh that dog no oh, that's oh for god the love of benji for the love of benji oh but it oh. wasn't like that because i guess jewish people didn't exist in 1977 so for for the love of benji is like you know for the love of benji like that's the <laughs> that's how you're benji. supposed to read that title not for the love of benji <laughs> for the love of benji but you can <laughs> say it the other way too
1: yeah, I get I get confused because I, then I also confuse it with stuff like the, uh, uh, you know, uh, there's just a lot of Disney movies. I'm still waking up a little bit. Mm-hmm. Frank In, I remember now. I don't think he was a bad guy, but Frank In, uh, was a guy. He kind of looked like William Howard Taft, and I think he was a dog trainer. I'm gonna have to look up Frank In, but you see his name a lot. You know where I remember his name from is uh, the TV show Green Acres. What's his last name? Inn. Yeah, uh, animals trained by Frank In. In yeah,
0: Do you know the, who Benji was created by another another name, an uh, app name I suppose Joe Camp, Joe Camp Frank In, Huh. Yeah. Joe Camp, Joe Camp Frank In. How do you how do you create a dog star? Yeah, and then the, and then the the final Benji title that I remember the fi- then the other uh, property. This is 1987, pretty late. Do you remember the the uh, the third proper one was the third Benji movie? So you I'm confusing Benji these with the, the Oh Love God of Benji.
1: movies. Every which way but loose, any which way you can. There's one, but the kid. There's kids that get kidnapped. I think in the first one, Love of Benji. Uh, I don't know what is it. Was the third Benji movie? Benji the Hunted. Oh no, that's sounds no good. Frankie has a kind of a fun captain's hat. It looks like a lot of
0: yeah. the time. I think I saw Benji the Hunted in the, in the theater. I don't think Benji should be hunted.
1: No, 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 no. We used to just go to so many movies. I remember seeing Blackbeard's ghost during the era of not very good live action Disney movies, which was about 40 years.
0: <laughs> I remember
1: I, and we, we got in late and we're in the very, very, first time I ever sat in the very, very, very front row. It was not very good. It had Peter off, who's a great actor, if memory serves. Frank Inn, boy, what a storied career. Uh, it says here, uh, oh, he was an assistant trainer of Skippy. And that was the dog that played Asta in the, in the thin man, uh, movies with William Powell and, uh, Loy, you'll remember. But listen to this! Oh my goodness, he did! Oh, the Incredible Shrinking Man! Oh, he did! He he did the, the animals in uh, the Diary of Anne Frank, <laughs> huh? Uh, Breakfast at Tiffany. So he probably did the cat that runs away. No
0: spoilers. Mm. It says that here that Benji's career was facilitated by Frank. And Do You know what Benji's actual name was? The actor, the dog actor. The dog actor? No. Higgins. Higgins is a
1: sweet name. That's also the name of the guy from Downtown Abbey that's on uh, Ted Lasso. That's right. Oh,
0: that, yeah. He oh
1: the- God! Here's one I forgot. Oh my God, John. Uh, Frank Inn also took on small character roles, films. He portrayed a studio security guard, uncredited, in Mooch Goes to Hollywood in 1971. He appeared as himself in, yes, Benji the Hunted, 1987. (laughs) And here's one I'd forgotten about. He played a cook in the 1976 camel comedy. You like that one because of your pearl. Homps. Mm. Do you remember Homps?
0: I do not. I saw it in the list of films and it did not ring any bells. H-A-W-M-P-S. Homps? Exclamation point. I did see that in the
1: theater and I think it's where the army trains camels. Oh, that's a great poster though. Huh? Huh? Did, um, were camels always associated with Pearl or is that an O'Reilly thing?
0: I think it's an O'Reilly. Well, I, it's known because it's the O'Reilly book, but I think the O'Reilly cover comes from the creator of Pearl thinking that the camel is the appropriate animal, but I'm not sure if that was thought of because hey we need an animal for your book which animal should it be but it's it's very Mm -hmm. tied together did he write that larry Wall? did he write that book uh yeah i think the first oh wow let me see um i look up on my shelf oh the writing's too small for old people hang on yeah but your spine's nice and
1: nice and clean directed by joe camp look at that joe camp did humps huh huh yeah, it was probably Larry Wall.
0: I mean, yeah, Randall Schwartz wrote a lot of them, and I was looking at the spines, and I just see Schwartz's name, and I think Wall helped with a bunch of them, but I don't know. Maybe I don't have the first editions? Hmm. Who wrote the Bash book? What's that guy's name? Arnold Rothstein? What was that guy's name? I not the Bash book. Come on. That's why I have the Pearl book. Pearl, so you don't the have to Bash. use Bash and auk and set I don't... You don't what? Come on. Really? Freaking books.
1: Hang on. You're, so really, for real, you do all that, all that stuff that, that one of us would do with those. You're doing with the uh, with the Camel book.
0: That's the whole reason Perl exists. Is because having to use grep, sed, awk, bash, they're all like it's they're terrible, right? Bash is not a very good programming language, and you have terrible. to use all these external programs. If you want to do anything interesting, like sed and awk, and th- yeah, sed but and it's awk have
1: Small pieces loosely joined. You're getting one sed, large sed, piece sed and 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 an that's have, not joined.
0: Sed and awk have like some overlapping functionality, but mostly disjoint and are very different from each other. And then you have to throw in grep, and then you're just a mess. And you, what if you want to do all those things plus have access to the full unix api ta-da pearl there's a reason it became uh-huh. popular because that piecemeal approach is annoying and crappy found it was found wanting Perl. Hmm, right. Perl is like all the best of that mixed together into an amazing thing and that's why everybody started running stuff in Perl instead of just making
1: well i'm gonna i'm gonna CGI pick that up Bash. i'm gonna pick that up
0: um let's
1: see what else did we have any other open through oh yeah so one time that's nah, too sad i can't say it Let's just say that I got a little bit turned off to the whole idea of going to the, uh, the circus when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. The no. Russian circus was in town. The Russian circus was in town. And our, we had friends who were rich, uh, only like one. But this guy had season tickets because he was a big shot. He had season tickets. Uh, he had a, uh, His company, I think, had a box at the Cincinnati Stingers hockey arena. Mm-hmm. Uh, a storied franchise, if ever there was one. Uh, their, their mascot was a bee. And so anyhow, but that means he gets tickets to other stuff that was at the Coliseum. So we went to see the Russian Circus when the Russian Circus was in town. And uh, from something you wouldn't see from the normal people's seats that you could see very easily from Mm. the very fancy box seats is what happens behind the scenes. And uh, I saw them beating the tar out of some bears and I didn't like it. Watching somebody beat a bear who's then going to come out and entertain you or maybe just didn't entertain you enough according to Ivan, mm-hmm. just beat the snot out of these bears. And it was, it was really upsetting to me. Yeah, it's best not to know about that <sighs> stuff if you're a little kid going to the circus. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It just doesn't have this, the shine that it used to. Clowns, Russian clowns. You know, it's worse than a clown or a Russian clown. <laughs> this episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Squarespace. You can learn more about Squarespace right now by visiting squarespace.com diffs. Friends, Squarespace is the all-in-one platform to build your online presence and to run your business. From websites and online stores to marketing tools and analytics, they got it all. They got you covered. there, Squarespace. Squarespace combines cutting-edge design and world-class engineering, making it easier than ever to establish your home online and to make your ideas into a reality. Squarespace has everything you need to create a beautiful and modern website. You start with a professionally designed template, and then you use simple drag-and-drop tools to make it your own. You can customize the look and feel, the settings, the products, all of this and more with just a few clicks. And all Squarespace websites are optimized for mobile. That means that your stuff is going to automatically adjust and look great on any device or dingus. There's so much stuff you get. You guys at Squarespace, you get free unlimited hosting, top-of-the-line security, and dependable resources to help you succeed. There's nothing to patch or upgrade ever. They have award-winning 24 by 7 customer support if you ever need any help. They'll even let you quickly and easily grab a unique domain name. Plus, you'll have everything you need for SEO and email marketing, everything you need to get your ideas out there. Well, you know, you can, you can make anything you want with this. It's Squarespace. You make a website. If you've got a big idea, you make it into a site. You can showcase your work. Here's my work. Check it out, right? They have incredible portfolio designs. If you have graphical things you'd like people to see, you can publish a blog post. You can promote your business. You can announce an upcoming event. Woof! Squarespace does it all. Uh, I've been using Squarespace for years. I still use them constantly. It's where we host the Roderick on the Line podcast, and, and Squarespace gets my official okie Dokie. I don't apologize for that. I don't apologize to anyone. You go. You go to squarespace.com/diffs. That's D-I-F-F-S. You can get a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're all ready to launch, use that very special offer code DIFFS, D-I-F-F-S. That's going to save you 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain name. Squarespace.com slash DIFFS. Use that offer code DIFFS for 10% off. You know, it saves you some money and and it shows your support for John Syracuse, which he loves, believe me. They're a good sponsor. They're good friends and they're going to be good to you. Check out squarespace.com slash diffs. Our thanks to Squarespace for supporting reconcilable differences and all of Relay FM. Uh, hey everybody. Uh, <laughs> what did you do to the document? Let me go look. All right. All right. All right. Okay. Um, Hey, um, if you enjoy this program, uh, you can choose to support it by going to relay.fm slash RD and uh, you can tie this uh, some funds. And that means once a month uh, you get some bonus content and this week uh, is one of those weeks where there is bonus content for the, the the kind people who support this program. Can I say what it is we're going to talk about? Sure. Well, I mean, we were just kind of banging it around in our pre-flight, but I think we're going to be talking about uh, preliminary uh, vacation results. This is an ongoing. This is a tradition now on the program. There's, I think, what do we have? We had what holiday results? Maybe we have vacation results. Mm-hmm. It's where you're gonna you're gonna come in. You're gonna talk about uh, what the results of of the vacation.
0: And what was it called? The Minority Report. It was like future crime, but they had a word for it. Pre crime. Pre crime. I'm trying to think of. I think so. I thought that was different. Anyway, you have like the Minority Report pre vacation thing to talk y- about.
1: Well, I'm. I'm yeah, not gonna talk about know, it now. But that's all. That's gonna no, be. No, I mean show. if it happens. You know, I'll talk about it. You know what? If it happens or it doesn't happen, which it may or may not do, as they say in England, at, at some point, I will or will not have something to say about it uh, either way. Because if it doesn't happen, it'll be for all the right reasons because this goddamn country cannot get its poop together enough to, to stop being very sick with, with a with a disease. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there there are people out there who are scheduled to go on, a, as John Syracuse calls it, a vacation. <sighs> Where you go and you, you hang out with your family who never really wore masks the whole time anyway. All we let's save it
0: for the after show. That's what we're going to talk about in the after show. This. But, well, I thought we were doing my pre crime. Right, Which that, one am I? Am I, but that's am also I the guy gonna from the be lobster? In the after show. Look at the document. Stop looking at the changes and just look I'm the, the guy document. from the
1: lobster. You're the guy from, uh, from Mission Impossible. Live
0: in, the, live in the present. Look at the document What's his as his name? Name? it exists. Clive Owen,
1: now. Dermot Mulroney. What's his name? The guy from He's a Fantastic Beast. What's his name? Oh, his I name is, is Clive Irish. Clive Man. Owen? No, that's the guy from Croupier. Clive Cussler? Who's Kussler? the guy from... Huh? Clive Cussler. Oh, Clive Cussler. I thought you were talking about... uh, uh Pier, an American Pier, adventure novelist and underwater explorer. <laughs> the underwater explorer. Oh, okay. I want to be a narrator on the Jacques Cousteau uh, show, as Michael Stipe used to say.
0: His novels featured the character Dirk Pitt, which is not... I was gonna say, which is not made up, but obviously it isn't. It's is not made even plausible
1: as a fictional name. That's just it's, it's a real fictional name. character, Dirk Pitt. An actual fictional character. Dirk Diggler, I think is his name. Yeah. You got um that uh what were we talking about? Uh the guy. Oh no, you was thinking of um yeah, you know, it's the guy who comes in, <clears throat> the Fantastic Beast guy who comes in and is like giving them the third degree, remember? And he wants to he wants to observe the balls.
0: And the, then there's the, the guy, there's the guy
1: Yeah, what minority reporter? I think that's isn't that that's Philip K Dick you're thinking of. No, I'm saying the first
0: Fantastic Beast movie. The person you're trying oh, to think Oh, sure.
1: Of. Yeah, that one. The one with the cute girl and the other cute girl. Colin Farrell? Is that what you're Colin Farrell. I saw him in The Lobster. I watched two I, I finished watching The Favorite finally, which is mm-hmm. a Rachel Weisz movie, Vice. Yep. And then right after that, I went straight into The Lobster and finally watched The Lobster the all.
0: Favorite the Favorite is a uh Olivia Coleman movie right
1: we also watched fleabag last night which has olivia, olivia coleman in it yeah yeah you watched you um,
0: watch all of fleabag last night
1: no the problem is i know it's not appropriate and i did a lot of fast over i knew i could get her a uh, little bit yeah. hooked mm-hmm. there's yeah. a lot of fast over even yeah. in the, you know the Barack obama stuff but um i mean she knows what that is but you know he's a president but you know um the point being boy that lobster is a hell of a movie you ever watch that Still haven't it's seen it. It's the guy it. who did the favorite. Same guy yeah, who did yeah, the favorite. Yeah, don't,
0: don't spoil anything because I know it's weird, but I don't know right. anything about why it's weird, but I still haven't seen it. I think a benefit of the favorite, I think the
1: favorite is good, but I mean, and it's, it's so lush. It's just, it's really beautiful and bizarre and like his, like all of his movies, I guess. But um, I think it benefits from being on the short side, the mm-hmm. shorter side. I think sometimes there are movies, especially sumptuous, fantastical movies that do benefit from being not over long. You know what I mean? Yeah, I
0: remember. Remember watching The Favourite and thinking it was yeah, it was pretty tight. Pretty good. I love Olivia Coleman. My goodness, she's good. And if you good. if you like that, not that these are really the same, not in specifically in tone or whatever, but like I I watched that at the same time as I started watching The Great, the series on, Oh yeah, with um with it's got a fanning, right? Yeah, I think so. And The Great, when it started off, I was like I can't quite figure out what tone this is going for. I've, I've tried it three times, and it didn't take. i never get past the swings. Yeah, Should I like, stick with it? it? Like, in the beginning, I thought, like, with the first episode or two or three, I was like, what tone is this? Because I had just seen The Favourite around that time, and I was like, what tone is this going for? Is it the same as The Favourite, or is it trying to be funnier or yeah. silly? But the show, surprisingly, eventually does find this weird, and it's my opinion anyway, weird balance between dark humor and just drama and sadness and comedy and eventually it, it won me over by the end I, I hope it continues oh good oh oh i'm always looking for a show um and, and tongue-in-cheek a little bit tongue-in-cheek it feels yeah it's like. definitely weird like it is not a normal show which is part of what made me keep watching it even though it wasn't really like you know it wasn't gelling for me i just kept watching it like hey, what is the show even doing and it just it just continues it doesn't care what you think it just continues to do what it does and i was like yeah i think they, they pulled it together in the end it's pretty weird but the performances and the characters and just the relentless Weirdness off kilter. I think it's probably what what you like about uh, Always Sunny and stuff like that—a show that most people would find mm-hmm. like distasteful or whatever. But it's just so so off so off kilter that you, you yeah just yeah, can't, yeah you just you just can't look away, kind of.
1: Well, and funny to bring it back in though. Um, I mean, something I, I've I've watched. Well, you know, I've I've watched all of Fleabag and I've seen the first season, I think at least twice, and I've seen the first couple episodes of Fleabag numerous numerous times. But like something that I I kind of spaced. I mean, I obviously I remember the fourth wall breaking. I remember the way that she like looks at the camera and she's we've we've talked before on here about how mm-hmm. how terrific she is in that show. Um, but I guess I'd forgotten the like abrupt cuts and the like like without any warning at all you go into a flashback with a hard cut and come back with a hard cut or even the way the opening credits are just like kind of a blast of um, some kind of uh, otre crazy jazz says bag and it cuts like in the middle of a note after like four seconds mm-hmm. that feeling that runs through that um I, I really enjoy stuff like that it's funny though to see like um i mean i don't read the trades i don't keep up with this stuff but it'll be funny to see like what feels like sort of an emergent genre this is a way more than emergent genre but when you talk about the what was the show with uh the with the fanning of the great the yeah but like, maybe this goes back even to something like Romeo and Juliet, maybe something like Moulin Rouge, but sort of tongue in cheek, hip, um, his, vaguely historical things. I guess you could kind of count the favorite. I feel like there's this new genre that I, I liked it the first time I saw. it. I loved it the first time I saw it. I liked it the second time I saw it. And now I'm kind of getting a snootful, which I'm going to call like a, post, like a post John Wick, like Spies have their own world for everything mm-hmm. movie. And obviously John Wick has that. I feel like the Kingsman movies <laughs> kind of have that. Where like it's it's too clever by... But like did you watch the one with Amy Pond and uh, and Cersei? Did you watch that one?
0: Um, uh, no. Milkshake and Powder Milkshake. Did you watch that? No, I didn't. I think I almost added that to my list. But tell me whether I should or not.
1: Um, I'm going to say... Probably not. I mean, there's, uh, the, what kept me watching it for a while, a long time, before I just was finally like, ugh, It's, first of all, I love Amy Pond. I love Karen Gillan. I think mm. she's terrific. I think the character Amy Pond is just fantastic. I, I liked her okay enough in the Marvel movies, but I think she's, she's wonderful. Obviously, she's, she's really beautiful. I think she's, is good, really good at a certain kind of role. Um... Let's put it this way. I'm sure that she fights better than I do (laughs) on any day of the week. But her fight scenes are, mm, not. I mean, I don't know if she was pregnant or something, but like the fight, her fight scenes are really not that great. And that feels, you know, it's not, it's no like atomic blonde, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. In terms of the, like, this is really leading into this.
0: Is it her that you're seeing in these scenes that you are critiquing or is it a stunt person?
1: I think it's a mix, but... It's, there's one scene, like I think, yeah, at the bowling alley. That's pretty definitely her. I would say it's okay. I don't think it's very distinguished, but it is. It is banking heavily on the whole, like, oh, when you go to this diner, like it's the diner for spies and murderers, and <laughs> mm-hmm. you know. But I think that's fun when I want to say Lance Riddick, who's the guy who's the desk clerk in John John Wick. Like I, the way they did yeah. it and that was pretty fun. Do you, is that a genre? Is this a, a subgenre? Subgenre.
0: I don't well, know. Like, I mean, I wouldn't lump. Uh, I mean, The Kingsman is more like a movie for kids, isn't it? And then John Wick is not a movie for kids. But uh, but you know, the underworld movies. I would say like uh, not literally the underworld. But ones.
1: like they've got their own hos. Well, there's also the Jodie Foster one with like oh the she works at the assassin hospital. Hmm. That was a movie, know, right? Isn't she a nurse at the assassin hospital? What is that and one? There's you know John Wick's got the assassin hotel, yeah. and it's just I don't know. And they got their own money and stuff. John Wick did that so well because you never. It's almost like when you see John Travolta in Pulp Fiction, where you're like, where did this come from? You know, it was so, so fresh and so new. Oh, Hotel Hotel Artemis. Is that the. Oh, there you go.
0: That's the one. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'll I don't... watch almost anything. Wow. Uh, yeah. No, you. Yeah. These are. I'm, I'm, you're not into the genre, but in terms of spy movies, I, I have, uh, uh, I don't know what you'd call it. I have letterboxd tastes. Like, oh, I only like the snooty ones that you haven't heard of. But it's like, practically speaking, that's mostly true. Like, although I did watch the Hannah TV series, surprising, which was surprisingly okay. The, the what? Hannah. The Hannah is, a, is an example of a snooty spy movie that most people haven't seen or heard of, as opposed to John Wick, that most people have. um It's about a young girl assassin spy thing, and then they made a spinoff TV series oh. from it. H.A ah,
1: the Hannah, just Hannah, just Hannah. All right. Well, you know, I like a TV series. I like getting into it. You know, like I say, I don't know if I said it here or I know I've said it elsewhere, but I was watching that American horror thing. I think I mentioned, might've mentioned that to you. Yeah. You know, by the end of the first season, it's like, okay, I think I've, 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 um, I've extracted the value that I'm going to get out of this. One of the problems is like, okay, first of all, Netflix, so much murder. And sometimes I'm not in the mood for a murder series. A lot of times I'm not. But, like, I watched the Disappearance of uh, the Woman in Ireland uh, series, and I thought that was good. I watched that recently. But sometimes there's some, something I really want to watch, but I'm just too fatigued to do subtitles. Because a lot of the best ones of these are from other places. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I really like, not the Adjustment Bureau, but the Bureau? Right. Yeah. The French one? Mm-hmm. I really like that, but you do really have to pay attention and you really do
0: have to read. You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't mind that. I've watched, i watch a lot of, (laughs) i watch. I think a lot of the garbage, garbage things I watch are foreign things on Netflix and other streaming stations. I don't know. I have a higher tolerance maybe because I can't detect the bad acting because I don't understand what they're saying. So I'm just reading the (laughs) subtitles, but yeah, yeah, I've watched a lot of those. And I particularly like the ones where languages that I've never really heard spoken before. Uh, Mm -hmm. so I, it's just fun to hear a different language. I think I've talked about the rain before, which is a fairly terrible end of the world series where people are speaking. I don't know, Finnish, or whatever they're, whatever they're speaking. It's a language I'm not familiar with. And it's just fun hearing it. I love that too. I, I love watching some, or like,
1: um, the, uh, I watched a few of the, um, the Czech, uh, Czechoslovakian new wave stuff on criterion. And it's, it's such an interesting, like kind of pretty language. Like when you're like, when you're dumb like me and don't really speak languages, when when people are speaking, say, for example, Danish or like you say, Finnish or something like that. Like it, ju- it just sounds it sounds so unusual. It keeps me on my toes. I like that.
0: Yeah, I'm looking I'm looking at Hannah now and I just realized this is one of those retro things where uh I don't know why this, I assume this happens to everybody. So if you see a movie and you like it and years go by and then later you see, you know. You see w- that same person in another role, but you don't connect them backwards because suddenly they're famous. It's like, oh my god, right? So, H A N N A with the girl from Ladybird, yeah, Sarah Saoirse, Saoirse Ronan. Yeah, she's uh, yes, the Saoirse star in that movie. And and of course, I know who she is now. I've seen her in tons of things. I think she's great, of course, but I never connected her back to Hannah, which is oh my which, god, as it turns Eric out, Eric Hannah,
1: Cate Blanchett. Yeah, this it's, looks great. It's a stack, Olivia it's Williams. A stack call cast. the cops, wow, yeah.
0: yeah. <sighs> huh i mean it's it's very straightforward like it's not the reason this you know people this movie came and went and I'm like oh yeah okay get it whatever girl spy but i think it's well executed and oh look at, i'll on the totally cast, watch it look at the cast yeah and then the tv series that's a great cast tv series is yeah. more kind of middle of the road but it's like hey uh mm-hmm. you know can you try to make a tv series out of this? they did a pretty good job i thought it was i saw her in
1: something recently that uh that i really like oh she's in the french dispatch too i'm looking forward to that uh what was, oh, oh yeah i forgot that she's in grand budapest hotel that's what that's what i forgot that she's in also um yeah i like tv what else have i loved lately anything else yeah sometimes i've just been watching silicon valley a lot lately that show <laughs> just makes me happy i know plumber problem but it makes me really happy i like the characters on that show i love jared i'm obsessed with jared right now i love
0: him so much yeah i've been been—I've been bouncing around on tv things i've, I've I've bailed on a lot of stuff recently. Maybe I, you know, I never really. The thing about the thing about my system of using what am I using now? TV time uh, to track what I, I'm using Track. track.tv, but there's many clients. Anyway, the client I'm using for the thing is when I bail, there's a marker of where I left, right? Because I'm always keeping. Oh, because you've hooked it up with your Plex? No, I just do it manually. Like it's not okay. okay, right? But but anyway, I keep track, and it's like if I, it's it's like I haven't actually left them because track.tv <laughs> knows where I left off in each of these series oh, you watch five episodes of this you watch three episodes it knows it's always like, so always just sitting there saying like yeah there's two episodes left in the season if you want to watch them and finish this thing out and i look at them and i go yeah i think i'm good but they stay there right i suppose i could delete them or whatever but it's like i like it as a feature of like if i ever do right. decide to go back if it's just like i just want to finish a story which series that i bailed on has less than three episodes or less than four episodes left and then i can just go through it i
1: get it it's almost like the philosophy of your your philosophy of show notes follows you around of like you know as long
0: as it's on the tivo it's on the tivo as long as it's in the notes yeah you never know when it might come back up again and, and sometimes me, i, I, I don't i don't bail on them because i'm not liking them i'm enjoying them just fine it's just somehow like i get pulled in different directions or get busy or do other things and then i look down and i'm like huh like if i really cared about the show wouldn't i have finished the last episode that has been sitting there unwatched for a month and a half yes but it's right. like, but i didn't dislike the series i was enjoying it it's just
1: Sometimes you're just not in the mood. Life, you
0: know, yeah, sometimes it's just... life just pulls you, and sometimes I get pulled into some other thing. Because, like, there's the, this is kind of, I guess, maybe people are, from what I've seen in movies, this is how I'm told some people are like with relationships, where they just like the mm. chase in the first part of the relationship, and aren't interested in the second or third act, mm. right? Sure. So mm-hmm. sometimes I just want to say, hey, there's a new series everyone's interested in, or was talking about, or someone you know, or I missed five years ago, and and. I just want that initial thrill because, you know, like if if a series was popular, probably the first one or two episodes like pull you into like whatever the world or the premises, is and you just get that thrill of that part and then you can just leave. Right. <laughs> with TV shows, yeah. it's, it's not as bad as with relationships. So what I do that with recently, I did that with Dispatches from Elsewhere. Have you heard of that or seen uh-uh. it? No, I watched the first couple episodes of that and was pulled in by the exciting initial part. And I'm not sure if I'll finish that series, but it's it's a thing. Yeah,
1: yeah trying to find the name of this uh orangutan company i want to say barzini i watched i watched <laughs> the godfather this weekend and <laughs> i got barzini a on Barzini, along i know yeah <laughs> to tell you he's a pimp he never could have fought out fought santino mm-hmm. boy james conn really goes after that guy goes really goes after him with the with the garbage can lid you know
0: i think he broke one of his ribs yeah some of those punches
1: don't land though they would have fixed oh no no the, Tom, no Tom Tom there's some where it's would have fixed at that. the beginning of the fight it's very very stagey
0: I mean, but the thing is, I had to see The Godfather seven times before I noticed that. Because, like, the movie works so well that the first, you know, the first five yeah. or six times you watch it, you're not noticing that at all. But eventually, you know, you're looking at things that you hadn't been looking at before because you've seen it so many times. But This is the first time I noticed how much of the movie Mike is holding some kind of a handkerchief and, and dabbing himself. Right. He's got the... He does a lot of dabbing. Well, but he's, but he's also got the, the broken jaw. He's got the punch. You yeah, know. that's true. And he's got the maybe got the drool from that, I don't know. Yeah. He he's frisked 1000 young punks. Mm-hmm.
1: Anyway, um Oh wait, are we are we talking about bag in a bag? I don't know what I really have to say about this except that I think it's an important concept.
0: Yeah, you wanted to revisit it and I'm not entirely sure why I thought we would covered cover it all, but maybe there's we'll some We'll keep it short cuz I I
1: we should we should move quickly uh to, to whatever chapter 2 of college is going to mm-hmm. be. Yep. But um I just I you know, I have almost nothing to say about it, except that it, it took me a long time to realize that bag in, bag in a bag, as I call it, is a a philosophy of organization that, I, that, at least for me and the way that my brain works, works on a lot of levels, especially as somebody who has not traditionally been a very tidy person, to say the least. Um, you know, when I would travel, I would just throw everything in a bag and, you know, hope that it worked. But, just for the just for the day to day the main concept behind bag in a bag is pretty much exactly what it sounds like but the, the, there there is kind of more to it. it the idea is that you want to have compartmentalization and subcompartmentalization that enables more precise organization and consequently consequently god i'm sorry my b- mouth and brain are not working It'll, it enables you to get to know where the thing you want is and to get to it without disrupting too many other things And bag in a bag also as a philosophy gives you more flexibility and confidence in knowing by knowing what is where in such a way that you could, you know, if you want your bottle open or you know where exactly where that is in your superstructure, but that also means that you can be pretty confident if you go into it, you say, okay, this particular bag in this particular bag always stays in that bag. Whereas this bag can go and do other things. So this could be something as, uh, you know, specific and mundane as all my socks are in this packing cube. It could be something like in your case with your photography stuff. I know that I know that if I just grab this bag and don't leave it, you know, if I don't, you know, um, sort of strip it for parts, if I always leave it in situ, I know that if I grab this bag, everything I have is in here. I, you know, if the batteries may not, I'll be charged right this second, but I got the charger in there and that's in this bag. That bag is in this other bag. Bag in a bag is a philosophical approach to preparation and, and packing that isn't just about efficiency. It's also, it's about planning and it's about a fairly advanced level of thinking about the future that I find very useful.
0: Yeah, the, the analogy I think that works for that it might sound a little silly, but like, Imagine a two-story house Uh, and imagine that on each floor, setting aside the structural concerns, all the walls were removed except for the outer walls. That would mm-hmm. be crappier because you won't realize how useful walls are. First of all, you hang pictures on them. If you have more them. than a couple people there, you're going to want those walls. Yeah, well, not just for privacy, but you hang pictures on them. In the kitchen, you mm-hmm. hang cabinets on them. You might lean stuff against them, like furniture and stuff like that, and they sort of Like, without them, if you had all the same stuff in your house, your fridge, all of your pots and pans and plates, uh, your dining room table, the little sideboard, the couch, like the TV, if you take away all the walls, like, isn't this better? There's more space now. But try placing all that stuff. It just ends up in a big pile. Now, take this thing Mm -hmm. one step further. Remove the the ceiling between the, 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 you know, the ceiling floor between the first and second floor. Now, isn't your house better? It's, like, well, it's no, bigger, where, it feels bigger inside. Where yeah. do all the beds go? They were all on the second floor and now just there's no second floor. It's just one. But look, we have all this space. You have the total volume of your house available to you and everything ends up in a big pile on the first floor and it's just like rubble. Yeah. That's That's what a bag is like without a bag in a bag. It's like a house... With no walls and also no dividing floor between the between the floors, that's a worse house and it's a worse bag. If you if you think, oh, look at all this this cavernous space. It's just a unlimited volume. You need to subdivide that, or you will end up like a house with all of the walls and floors removed. Yeah, it's a place to put your pile, and it's a bad pile. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I think that's actually a, a pretty good analogy. Um, and but like it's these kinds of things that, that are. It's difficult to talk about without you know sounding a little bit nuts or without revealing probably way too much about my, you know, emotional cosmology. But it actually weirdly also ties into a lot of our bits on here. Like, d- don't don't move my wallet. The keys go here. This is where the scissors go. That kind of stuff that we like to have some fun and japery about. But I think it's, it's true and it's real. In the ideal situation, okay, so like when I was traveling more uh, for family things, for work things, like, there was a time where I'd, I feel like I finally was getting pretty good about doing, I want to call it the Marco system. But like, if you travel enough, it's a really good idea to have. And like, I'm just saying, this sounds so fancy, but I think it's true. You should have an up-to-date idea of all the things that you need, dongles, cables, chargers, all those things that you need. If you can have a set of those that sits in a bag and never gets used except for when you travel, that's a good condition. Now, that's hard for a few reasons. It's difficult because that's going to get costly. It's difficult because it seems wasteful in some ways. and then it gets double wasteful and double double costly if if in the evolution of you and your family's use of these things, like what if somebody else gets an Apple watch? Does that mean you need to have a second charger? Or if somebody is now if if you're no longer like if, if you packed for a world of lightning, let's put it this way, if you pack for a world of iPhones with lightning cables, and now you're living in a world with more laptops and iPads. Well, it's time to update. Do you know what I mean? And it would be costly and wasteful if you, you know, didn't have this thing. You know, the worst condition though is to be stuck somewhere. The thing you thought that the thing you needed was in the bag because that's where it always stays. Maybe you used it in an emergency one day and you
0: didn't put it back. That's that's a big Big buzzer right yeah, there. That's, that's the failure mode of like, if you know you always have this, that's why the kids go after the scissors because yours, they can always find yours because they're always in the right you place. You said and this. It's like,
1: you don't have the corrosion on on your uh, on your lightning cable so they come and use
0: your nice cable. You said as much. Yeah, I have some follow-up on that for the next ATP, FYI. I always save it for the other show. That's tech stuff.
1: Well, can't we have tech stuff too? No,
0: that, that's Okay. We, we, we do different things here. we talk about cameras I here. guess we do. Huh. We have
1: cameras, they said on Metafilter. Um, I, uh, I think it's philosophical approach. And so like, you know, on the obvious dumbest level, okay, like let's, let's take a real straightforward example of something that that helps me be sane. So I have like, I as previously stipulated. I have this big Tom bin backpack that I like a lot. Um, and it's great, but it is the equivalent of John's two story home with no stories and a pile of bed right it's it's big and you're going to want sections for stuff in there well why well one is like oh god where where do you begin first of all there's stuff you don't want just rattling around and bumping around in there you might want to put your phone <laughs> into a little drawstring bag and then you put your drawstring bag inside of like a foam case and the foam case goes however it is that you deal with your phone there's some stuff you don't want banging around in there that's an easy one but there's other ones um like for example we blow fuses often enough that i now have a set aside bag with fuses and a flashlight in it. And to be honest, it also has an air tag in it. Well, why? Okay, what are the conditions <laughs> under which I might need to go outside and replace a fuse? Well, a fuse blue. Okay, so a fuse blue, well, what's that mean? Well, for one, that means the electric is off. And if the electric is off, that means the lights are off. And if this happens at two in the morning, it's unlikely because we don't have as much electric going. But you see where I'm going with this. I would love to be able to pick up my phone, be able to say, "Go find with AirTag." Go be, go find the bag that has the fuses and this in it. I don't have to worry about my kid grabbing a handful of fuses and those not having fuses in it. That's not a, you know, uh, a species-ending event. It'll be fine. But that's the approach that I take with this stuff. This bag is for this thing. This one is red. This one is yellow. This one is blue. This one is black, and I know what each of those things means. And here I'm talking about those really cool North Face small canister bags. They're really good, like water-resistant bags That i that's one of my primary bag-in-a-bag bags. Um, that's important, though. I would like to be able to take care of that as quickly as possible without having to hunt around. And I, I can just tell you this from my own experience. Having prepared for the bag-in-the-bag lifestyle, when the bag-in-the-bag lifestyle fails because of other people, it bums me out. When it fails because of me, that really bums me out because I should know better. I know that like, if i got, okay, so back to the backpack, Boy, I got a lot of bees tonight. Big backpack has in it a, one of those little origami bags that has it. It's like a Tardis bag. It seems kind of bigger on the inside. That's got my two FA dongles. Um, it's got like a microfiber cloth. If I'm traveling, it'll have an extra set of like old AirPods, something like that. Um, but I know if I need a 2FA dingus, I go there. This other bag over here has stuff like what? It's going to have ibuprofen. It's going to have pens. It's going to have that kind of stuff. Again, as ever in the Merlin philosophical world, it doesn't matter if that's what you would have in it. Think about what you would have in bags that you can clearly identify. So that's, just, that's two easy ones. And then, of course, there's an area to put my laptop. I can stick in my iPad. You know, it's got various different kinds of pockets, in the backpack, index cards are in here, etc. what that means for me is if I'm playing my cards right, I shouldn't need to think more than usual about grabbing that backpack and walking out the door. Now, will that have everything I need in it? No, it does not have my wallet in it because my wallet does not go on my backpack. My wallet goes over here in this dish, again, as previously stipulated. What I'm trying to get at is, and maybe you don't, not you, but the listener, maybe this is not the kind of thing that you suffer from. But I find few things more infuriating or more just, not infuriating, frustrating than when I make a bonehead error where I tried to prepare for something. I thought I prepared for something, but I didn't think it all the way through or I undermined myself. This is why it is best if you've got things like, I've got an entire banker's box that's just stuff for when I travel. And there's many bags for being inside other bags in there that I can deploy. Guess what? How about this one? How about this little bag here? That is the kind of stuff I'm not going to need on a, on a flight, and contain stuff I wouldn't be able to carry on to a flight. So, like my actual official, actual, actual Victorinox, actual Swiss Army knife that they issue to the Swiss Army, which is a great knife. It's not, it's not like the red one your dad has with a toothpick in it. It's got like, and you know, an Allen wrench and uh, pliers and all this great kind of stuff. Uh, but I can't take that on a plane, so that goes in here with like the wine opener and uh, a little bit of um, gaffer's tape, stuff like that. But that lives in the travel box. And then from the travel box, it goes into the bag. I, I love the confidence of knowing this is where the thing stays. This is where it lives. This is where it belongs. This whole set of cables for doing nothing but getting to the HDMI input of a TV somewhere, that all is in a Ziploc bag that goes in another bag. I don't know. I, I'll, I'll stop here. But uh, I've ranted a lot, but this is an important concept to me. Talk about keeping the demon dogs at bay, getting this set up, and then not futzing with it, but keeping it maintained enough. And the maintenance usually comes from updating whatever you learned on your latest sojourn, where you can go like, "Oh, I really I learned that like we do need more of this and less of that." And then all the way down to like the stupidest stuff that a normal person would never bring, but I bring and I always use. How about this? How about folded up like eight paper towels? How about folded up real tiny, maybe held together with a rubber band? Two or three 13 gallon trash bags? How about a folded up IKEA bag? My family looks at this and goes, What are you doing? Why do you need a project folder, an IKEA bag, and a Ziploc bag with Ziploc bags in it? And I was like, <laughs> I'm like, it, it takes up practically zero space, but I can promise you dimes to donuts that at least once and maybe four times, you will be so glad that you had a big blue flat fractor IKEA bag. Because what if you have to carry stuff? What if you got like wet beach clothes? What if you want to do laundry? What if you want? When do you not need a bag? And this is a bag in a bag in a bag. It's gold. Gold, Jerry.
0: You know, I recently carried in a blue IKEA bag. Tell me. 24 years of corn. 24 years of corn. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but like, I don't know if this is a farm stand thing or whatever, but when you get corn at the supermarket, it's just the ear. You get yeah. it in the farm stand, sometimes it's the ear. Oh,
1: 24 ears of corn. Yeah. Oh, I thought you were talking about just under a quarter century of corn.
0: No, yeah. Sometimes when you get them from the farm stand, it's the it's the ear of corn and also like a foot to a foot and a half of stalk.
1: I know. They they have a big hefty garbage can at our Lucky because cause you can strip it off
0: there. Makes a big mess, big slippery mess. The place we went, we'll save this for later, but anyway, the place we went had a big sign, handwritten sign in Magic Market says, do not chuck the corn here. Yeah, they hate it. No, you got to bring, you gotta bring the, the, so I got a, I gotta, you know, 24 ears of corn. You think that's going to fit in a blue IKEA bag? No problem. With the stalks, though, they're, they're so long that you can't yes. lay them down. They stick out. It's very big, yeah. and, big yeah. and heavy. Yeah. But you know, I, mean, really.
1: I mean, all this stuff, or stuff like on the car trip, you know me, like before I do practically anything in life, I make sure that I have an empty conveyance for trash next to me. Sorry, recycling, whatever you want to call it. But like, think about that like in your rental car. Like, why would you not have a couple folded up grocery bags to put in like, you know, Kleenex or a Coke can or whatever? Why would you not do that? Anyway, that's the kind of thing where like, and, and yes, and yes, I am enough of an official dad that I'm so excited when I get to deploy one of the things. And it doesn't particularly matter that my family thinks I'm an idiot for doing things like this, but it pleases me. Like when I get to the hotel and I set up my little area where the things go, because you always need an area where the things go. Not just the, I'm not talking about the chargeables I'm talking about, I got a little Bastic into which I put things like the key, you know, the wallet, the, all the things. But then I also, I start a project folder because guess what? There's literature, there's receipts, there's all of those things. You use the identipen, pen. Yes. That you packed and brought along. You write Disneyland 2016 on it. And now you have a way of grabbing it. You might just throw all of that away when you're done but now you know where all of those things go. And if you're like me and you suffer from the brain from which I suffer, that kind of stuff can be, can be really great. You don't have to be crazy about it. You really have to think it through once and then update and replenish. But now you've got a whole system that goes with you. And the bag-in-the-bag system philosophically affords that and, and physically enables that. Bag-in-the-bag, John.
0: How tolerant is your family of everything you just described?
1: Um, I mean, if it doesn't get in the way, I think it's mainly it's, you know, what's the thing they say about, you know, your rights Stop at the end of my nose Uh kind of uh thing. As long as I'm not screwing up their deal. It's just that in my smaller moments as a middle aged white man and I'm grumbling, I'll be thinking like, you know, this is everything that's happening right now is eventually something I'm going to have to deal with. And I would, I would like to have the tools that let me take care of those things. So, like, I can control whether the room is loud or not, whether it is bright or not. I can't control that. But I can ameliorate that by knowing that I can do stuff like put some gaffer's tape over uh, the the, the door hole, that I could put that over the LED on the smoke alarm. I've got a couple binder clips I could use to close the curtain better, all that kind of dumb stuff. Who doesn't need gaffer's tape and clips? Just, just
0: always have them. So your daughter might think this is normal because she's never known anything different. But I have to imagine that your wife, like, lived a different kind of life where people didn't take gaffer's tape with them and put it over the (laughs) hole in the the hotel room. So now she knows that, uh, that this is a different kind of experience. And surely by now, you know, she's certainly well, well, and accustomed and entrenched in it. But I'm wondering if like, if the knowledge of the, uh. The uniqueness, let's say, the oddity, the the rarity, the secret weirdness of this is fast to the point where they occasionally are sharing an eye roll while you while you are tearing off oh, the Oh, they tape share a on. lot of eye rolls, John. Yes, yes, yes. All right. In a loving way.
1: Um I, I think it's mainly I mean, I think one thing they do I know my wife knows this. I think they both know this and both understand this, is that dad is a weirdo. And he's got <laughs> yeah. he's got a funny little jig that he's gotta do mm-hmm. to feel okay about doing stuff that doesn't bother anybody else. Mm-hmm. I think they are very tolerant of that, but it's, you know, it's just, it it is, there's something that's, that's so frustrating to me. I'm trying not to be melodramatic about this, but like, because this is stuff that is so, that dogs me. This is stuff where like, it drives me crazy if I did something really dumb. It drives me crazy if I left something behind that I never in a million years should have left behind. Like, I think I've said this to you, but I, I rarely felt lower than the, the time I had to travel for work and was going to be gone for a few days, and I'd somehow completely forgotten my fancy fold-up headphones. I had zero headphones with me, and I had to walk into a store at the airport. I didn't have to, but, you know, I really like having headphones and listening to music. So I went in and bought these incredibly overpriced, crappy headphones, and I was just cursing myself the entire time. Cause like what a dumb mistake
0: does, does it help does it help you to think about like david pogue who threw out his macbook air in a stack of newspapers does it help you to think oh, I about i remember that does it help you to think about people who, who have done way worse things to sort of put your forgetting of headphones in perspective and make you feel less bad about it or does that not help no i don't think it helps
1: because it's very much a you know there but for the grace of god go i mm-hmm. feeling now with all of this said i can be i can be a surprisingly compliant gamer or or go along, get along guy if everything's not perfect, right? I mean, there is a risk to this. There is a risk to becoming a a crazy person and doing way too much of this because you'll never have enough. and in some instances, the point of going somewhere is that it's going to be a real lightweight trip. We'll just see what happens, that kind of thing. but i I hope i I you're one of the few people in my life where I feel like you've got some we've got some shared DNA here. Well, just knowing how you are, knowing how I am, knowing what a ridiculous pessimist you are about everything. And I could just imagine the moment in the car where you're like, okay, we got to go change the tire. I'll be back. You know, you're like, um, Ralphie's dad, right? I'll be time back. Start, yeah. time, right. Start the clock. And then you go, wait a minute. Where's the scissor jack? And you're like, oh, I, I used that to fix my pony. And you're like, what? Why is the scissor jack not in the car? And you're like, well, I used it. Like, what are you stressing about? Like, that would be really frustrating to you, right? I
0: mean, I think you nailed it before, identifying these things as dad things. Because These are absolutely 100% stereotypical dad things of, I mean, maybe not the specific things, but like generally the idea of, especially if you're traveling, to have prepared things that you might, you know, we might need this in travel. Like, general travel preparedness. You, you see it all the time in, you know, in, uh, in media But also in real life and our own parents, I mean, sometimes it's the mother as well, but it's definitely a parent thing, but certainly a dad thing. If it's sort of like a stereotypical manly like uh, adventure thing, I need to be prepared to protect my family and have all the proper or like even... (laughs) You got to fully stock your kind of story. And I feel like the the sort of more generic uh, parent equivalent that we all get is when you have young children. We know the sort of going into battle with... You get the diaper bag. You got the wipes. You got the you got the the onesies. You got you know. If you know you're going to have to
1: change your kid's diaper on a plane, you're. I mean, that you're already the count is against you. Yeah. Like it sucks to change a kid in an airplane bathroom, and you're really going to want that pad. And boy, you sure hope you brought some diapers. But that kind of thing, right? Where you're like, oh, this is actually yeah. kind of vital to doing. I mean, that, right.
0: that's where I think everybody, no matter what their personality type is, gets on board that because babies demand it. Like you, you really need to be prepared. But for you, but remove babies and just say like uh the thing you mentioned with paper towels i do that i also do tissues because i hate not having tissues and having like snot coming out of my nose or someone else's nose this is why you got to learn to blow into a paper towel you'll be so much happier oh, I, I need the i need the tissues anyway um uh uh S- small supply of medicine, you know, depending on what, what ails you frequently, do you get headaches and usually one or two Tylenol will make it go away? Not having one or two Tylenol two hours into a six hour flight is a bad scene. Make sure you always have a little thing of Tylenol with you. Like, yeah, and on and on. Like I think this all mm-hmm. definitely is there's usually in, in any kind of family dynamic, one member of the family who is way more into that than others, or maybe there are areas of focus. Like one person may be into it for, you know, tissues and medications. The other person may be into it for, conveyances or having the right bags or whatever it may be that's definitely a thing right um but yeah i have that i have my own versions of all of that uh but you, we are you and i are both more towards the over-preparing side of the spectrum for sure which is why i asked about the eye rolling because when you're doing it for yourself like i often travel by myself wwc there's no one to roll their eyes it's just me like you can be as weird as you want to be right but i think the mm-hmm. beauty of family is that you can also be as weird as you want to be because that's what makes them family and they they may roll their eyes, but they grudgingly tolerate your. But then, feelings. when you're the one who pulls out the Kit Kat bars when you get back from dinner, now you're the hero. If the if your parent if your family really loves you, they will occasionally intentionally do something that they know you will have the antidote for to make you feel like you're being useful like you know what i oh, mean Oh, you're probably right yes. yeah you're probably but, right but that's what family does for each other and i feel like you know and yes and sometimes there are the legitimate ones Is like now you're glad i brought tissues aren't you because you got the bugs or you got a, a bloody nose or whatever huh? look i have tissues anyway oh yeah and like you
1: know this maybe you thought i was wasting space by uh, having these six imodium brother you're gonna somebody's gonna be really probably me if i'm being honest somebody's gonna be glad those emodiums are there someday. guess who
0: always has a nail clipper and knows where it is mm. dad dad always has a nail clipper and knows where it is uh-huh you don't yes, you yes, don't even yes. know if you have a nail clipper anywhere in the house i have a nail no, clipper it's always provided. on the train
1: john it's always provided yeah 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 i don't know but um no like uh yeah kidding aside mostly um yeah there, there certainly is an element of keeping the demon dogs at bay but it's when I say this is philosophical. I'm not doing that to to be cute. I, I'm saying that as somebody, I've been, uh, I got a lot of incompletes on my permanent record. Let's put it that way. There's just a lot of stuff where I, long before I was ever diagnosed with ADHD, I mean the the signs were there that, you know, I, I really need to, I need I need um I need structure sometimes. A lot of times that structure that I put onto myself. What I'm saying, like when I say "back in the bag" is "back in the bag" is philosophy. Though I'm, I am being serious, though, because it, it takes. Forgive me. Please play some uh, some John Philip Sousa music here. But as I stand on my soapbox, it takes a certain amount of self knowledge, right? I mean, you and I have both been involved in enough projects to know how gravely a project, a work project, say, can go wrong, because people were more interested in getting out of the room than in walking through the risk mitigation strategies for things that probably won't go wrong. You know, and you, you seem like you're being a real pill about it. And the biz dev guys just want to hop in their, in their Lambo or their McLaren or whatever. And you're like, yeah, but like we staked a lot on this one date. Can we just vet how we came up? How do we come up with that particular date? What's driving that? And then like, you know, can we just talk about like, what, what do we do if the things leading up to that date don't go the way that we expected because it's way less costly and disruptive to plan for that now to try to fix it later, right? And and so I'm scarred a thousand ways. And the way that I'm one of the ways I'm scarred is from being in those those meetings where you feel like Cassandra and you're just like, am am I am I really losing my mind? Am I the only person in this room that knows nobody in here is saying true things? And that somebody's going to get stuck holding the bag when all of this lack of candor starts to come true. We've never hit any of our dates on time. Why would this one be any different, especially if it's super important? Right. So I don't know. I'm going to bust a gut here, but like, I think, I think the the what you learn from being around, from watching people that have suffered from this and didn't choose to learn from it leads to a certain kind of self-knowledge and going, I would like to think that I know how I am. And also it's a fun, vi- not a video game, but it's a fun little game for me to be able to walk through contingencies and say like, what is the, what is a sane way for me to prepare for this in a way that lets me be more in the moment and less worried about like what happens if something goes wrong.
0: Yeah. I don't know much about ADHD. Probably all I know is what I've heard from listening to you, but, um, it it strikes me that like the, what you're describing, I mean, in some senses, it's a way of preparing, which we've talked about preparing on previous shows, but it's a way of taking advantage of a time of, uh, good executive function to shore up oh, late, that's a, to shore up yes, later when you might not so you have a good executive function you're going to do the prep and uh, now right now is the time that i'm thinking about the travel bag and i do all these things or whatever blah 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 blah. blah. because when it comes down to travel maybe then you won't be prepared to have that kind of executive function to say here's what has to be done or whatever and you can just freaking grab the bag because mm-hmm. six months ago when you were having a good moment of really wanting to concentrate on that one thing you're able to nail it down then and the payoff is that now when i'm harried and worrying about getting out of the house I don't have to rely on just do really good right now in this second when you're under pressure, you know, past Merlin already did that. Here's the bag.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess in the most ideal condition, I, I wouldn't need to do anything and nothing would bother me.
0: <laughs> Never have to go anywhere. is obviously the ideal, but
1: yeah. Well, obviously that's the <laughs> ideal, but like th- that is a, that is a set of circumstances that probably are not a good peg to hang your life on. Um, but you know, it does honestly though. I mean, the, the, the taking this just even like a tiny, not step further, but step more inward, which is like, I know exactly what is in my wallet. Like if I lost my wallet today, like I don't keep a lot of stuff in there. <sighs> I have an air tag in there and it's such an annoying size, <laughs> uh, but I, now it's turned into a little bit of a half Costanza. Yeah, like, it'll uh, make
0: you feel like a younger man with a condom in your wallet, right? I guess so. Cause I like a real thick condom. I like them am real rugged. I burn through them pretty hard. Yeah, so now you got a, a, a real thick uh, thing that does not function as a condom, but is also around.
1: It's a kind of condom. It definitely is a kind of birth control to have a lot of technology on you. Hmm. But, uh, but I, I mean, and in that instance, I know. Like, today, I took my kid's shoe shopping. I went to our little local shoe shop and got some shoes. And, um, and then she was like, oh, yeah, I want to go to this and such place. Um, and I can take the bus for that, right? And I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, we set up your phone to be able to do, we finally got that ability that you guys have probably had forever. We can use iPhone, Apple Pay, wallet, whatever, to pay for that. I said, but hey, just in case, and I gave her my Muni card just as a backup because you haven't tried that yet. Here's my Muni card. It's got at least, it's always got at least 30 bucks on it. Take it with you in case you need it. And did I have to think a lot about that? No, I just grabbed my wallet and I know exactly, I could do it in the dark, you know? In the dark and with one hand, that should be my biography. Because everything in my life, I want to be able to accomplish it with one hand rather than two. And I would like to be able to do almost everything and to know how things are set up so well that I could do almost, most of the things I need to do in near darkness because it's so well-prepared. And that's why we don't leave a brown Lego on the
0: floor. That's why you don't move daddy's fuse back. (laughs) Yeah, we glossed over the fact that your house has a fuse box and not circuit breakers. (laughs) Anyway, it's an exciting time. It's summer. (laughs) Are, are there any coins in your fuse box? I mean, you, otherwise hell we pay for college. No, I mean like, like uh, in place of
1: a fuse. I just threw you such a transition. No, I know back in the day. Well, I used to, I'd read a long time ago that you can take the wrapper, uh, the aluminum <laughs> uh, foil from a Marlboro pack and wrap it around a fuse mm-hmm. once for this amperage, twice for that amperage. And I did do that in my bus once and it worked. I mean, I did have cigarettes and I was able to fix a fuse with a all. I, I believe
0: pack. that it's conductive. I'm not sure. I, I buy the once, twice being equivalent to fuse strength. That's physics, John. <laughs> yeah, is it? The, yeah. The tobacco just adds flavor. You need a little, you need a little It's tar. not tobacco, John. It's aluminum. Mm-hmm, I know, but it's got that. It's got the. Well,
1: they're filtered, John. They're not like Chesterfield's. <laughs> this episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Burrow. You can learn more about Burrow right now by visiting burrow.com slash R-D. That's B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash R-D. Who is Burrow? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, they're a company that's striving to set a new standard in furniture with easy-to-move modular designs, such as timeless American mid-century and contemporary Scandinavian styles, in premium durable materials like responsibly forested hardwood, top grain Italian leather, and reinforced metal hardware. Ooh. Burrow's in-house design team takes a research-driven approach because they want to make sure that their furniture fits your lifestyle. And that's why they've produced simple mounting guide posters for their index wall shelves and a tool-free assembly process. Burrow has a modern website that's super easy to use. And that means that you can create and customize your own furniture right from home. And you're not going to have to go to those old-fashioned warehouse stores and high-pressure showrooms. Boo! I've been to them. I do not prefer them. I have a burrow and I love it. What can I say? Uh, You can enjoy uh, free shipping. They're going to ship it to you for free. Every order, no matter how small or large, is delivered directly to your door for free, which can save you well over $100 when buying a large item like a couch. If you ever need help, the burrow team is always available to lend a hand. From custom orders to rescheduling a delivery. Uh, Like I said, you know, I have a Burrow couch. I bought one before they were even a sponsor. It was uh, the consensus opinion after over a decade of searching for a couch. My wife and I agreed, and now I sit on a Burrow. It's real nice. Uh, So so what you can do, you uh, you go to burrow.com slash RD. That's RD, (laughs) burrow.com slash RD. And you know what? You're going to get $75 off your order. Okay, this is your first order. You go there. You get a couch, $75 off. Bob's your uncle. Go burrow.com/slash RD. Our thanks to Burrow for supporting reconcilable differences and all of Relay FM. Last week we talked about uh, we did uh, something we've been threatening to do for a long time, which is to talk about college. And we've had this sort of rat king of ideas about stuff related to college. How would you describe last week or last episode? We we talked
0: about our own personal college's experiences as old people who can't remember things.
1: Yeah, but I like what we got into, and I think a few of our listeners liked it too. Uh, We got some nice responses from friends. But getting into the whole, like, the complexities of college as a thing, and not just, you know, from an economic standpoint and a class standpoint, but also from, like, a... Just think about John in the like, however many 20, 30 years since, since we were in college, like you had to know that the role of college would change, but there's just been so many different things that have changed. Could we have guessed it would be as dire as it is now that it would be so much less useful, so much more costly, so much just more difficult as a thing.
0: I mean, if and, we if we had, uh, I bet, I mean, we personally know because we're both young and dumb, but people yes. who studied this surely could have because it is a natural consequence of making anything for profit. <laughs> right? Like, that's... How do you mean? Like, why? Oh, that it's, it's like the entropy of worseness? No, it's like, <laughs> yeah. If you have an enterprise where, where people are able to make a profit, uh, they will become better and better at making that profit at the expense of all the things that do not help them make that profit. So private institutions can figure out you know what we can just keep raising our prices and then people will borrow money to come here and there's nothing really stopping mm-hmm. us from doing that and we don't really need to pay teachers more we can just uh, you know make 70 percent of our you know our budget be administration that doesn't teach any classes and then we'll have you know tas teach all the classes and like you know, all that stuff is just natural consequence of profit motivated things like what can we get away with that will make us more money And only us more money, this small select group of people at the expense of everything else that apparently doesn't matter.
1: Lower costs and increased profits.
0: Right. And all the way up to like, you know, the whatever, I don't know what the, what's the terrible one? Is it Phoenix University? I don't remember what the the big, the big name sort of. I think Phoenix is the big online one. I
1: don't think they're, well, I don't want to say a thing because I I can't say with authority. But um, yeah, the, or like I just saw the commercial today on cable news for, the k-12 or whatever but there's some kind of like it's just weird it's like the tuition free public school it's not for everybody but it might be for
0: you and i'm like wait what is the Mm
1: -hmm, what's mm -hmm. the
0: what's the what's the jam up here what's the scam yeah so that's just the way you you, if anything is changed into a system whereby a small number of people can make a lot of money at the expense of other people they will they will get better and better and better at doing that and so hey could we have guessed that college would become more expensive and even more (laughs) compulsory but even like less useful yeah yeah, you could have guessed that because you say that anything that has profit motive where they're, they're, people are able to do that, they will do that. It's like, well, wouldn't they just mm-hmm. give more money to the teachers to make the ha ha ha? Yeah, no, they wouldn't. They wouldn't and they won't. And even, even schools that have tons of money coming out their butt are like, well, we could use that endowment money to make school better for undergraduates. But come seriously, why don't we just pay the administrators some more? Right. Right. So that's that's the depressing reality of that. And I suppose like the part of that is like, well, part of what all this money is being used for is to convince everybody, meaning all the students and all of the people who are hiring those students after they get out of school, that it's super duper important that you have a college education uh, because that's how marketing works. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, I can't think of an equivalent thing, but like, yeah, it's just sort of pitching the idea that a college education is the baseline. So now everyone has to borrow all that money and take out all those loans. And essentially, you know, that's the the, the big private school thing of essentially funneling money from the government to private institutions through students saying, here's my university. You don't have enough money <laughs> Collegiate to Collegiate money laundering. Yeah, yeah, you don't have enough money to come here, but we will help you figure out how to. How the government loan you that money, which you will then give to us, and then you'll spend the rest of your life paying off. But we don't care about that because we've got the money by then. So you, student, are merely a mule to carry government money to us and then just be in debt for the rest of your life. Yeah. It's not a great system. And then, yeah, I think it is even more... Like we talked about it last show, of like did you expect? Did, was there an expectation when you were growing up that you would definitely go to college? And uh... right,
1: and it, but it's it's just that it's so it's it's so. Um, I, I don't want to be conspiratorial here because it's probably not even necessary to be conspiratorial, but just to to make the subtext text. You know, there was a time in America, I would say, I guess before World War II, where where college was something for fancier, more urban people to go into a professional career. I think it was very costly for people who weren't set up to handle that. And, but then, you know, the GI bill comes along and more and more people go to, um, go to college, like get it paid for it's, but it's like over some period of time, I would, I would think this was fairly established by even the sixties, but definitely the seventies was like the cultural sea change of college becoming, you don't want to say table stakes, but for college becoming like the minimum, the minimum for you to get to elevate, your life and go into like a good career and like how that went from being like good advice to, as I say, table stakes to becoming like, I mean, to ma- imagine being an institution, uh, one of many institutions where you've got that kind of cultural inertia or that cultural velocity on your side. Of like all you have to do is just sit there and wait for the checks to come in.
0: It's like well, it's not it's not just on their side, there's like a manufactured demand of the the uh, you know a concerted push to say everybody should have a college education. Exactly, By the way, we're exactly, not biased, trying, but yeah. we happen to be a college, right? <laughs> you know, and, and yeah. like the government's uh, obvious interest in having an educated populace providing things like student loans it just makes everyone see dollar signs of like this is free money. Like we can if we can convince people that they should go to college, even if they have zero dollars, we can help them get the dollars and give them to us. It's just a, a marketing thing. We'll help like, you know. get the money to give to us. Right. And because, because you're, of you're course welcome. you need a college education because we've been doing this advertising campaign for years and years. We're just like, yes, come to college. College is important. Like you said, it becomes the baseline. It's like you, you can you, you can either have a college education or you can essentially be doomed to live paycheck to paycheck the rest of your life. Not that that's actually true, but that's the pitch. Right. And that's that why it feels like, like you're going to
1: become like an itinerant worker. You might as well
0: just ride yeah, the rail, Just be the underclass. Right. But, but of course mm-hmm. anybody who's anybody. And of course, and then that's what makes it aspirational. Like, well, I want, I don't want to be in the underclass. I must need a college education. Let me take out student loans that I will pay, be paying off forever. I mean, it, it's kind of heartening to see, oh, who knows what anything will come with this the whole student loan, you know, debt relief, the debt forgiveness thing, which is the biggest no brainer in the world, which, you know, probably means we won't do it. But yeah, but still, I agree, though. It, it's like it feels like a trap right it feels like you know tell your kids their whole life they need to do this thing because it's the key to success and they go into massive debt to get it and it turns out that they are a philosophy major and now they realize it's really hard to get a job as a philosophy major and they're massively in debt and it's like they have to start over from zero again it's not like they're doomed like you can still have no they have to start out from negative negative two hundred thousand. right exactly you know it's like and not that there's anything wrong with being a philosophy major, but it's just it feels it, the the thing that you're sold is you get that degree and that's the, that's the minimum you need to even be able to, to play in the in the world of the grownups with the real jobs. And maybe you still won't even be guaranteed to get one or anything, but you at least have to have that. And so you're like, well, at least I got my degree, you think, as you pay and you make your interest payments every month. Right. This
1: is a, this is a, I mean, and as I say, I'm, I'm watching Silicon Valley for the millionth time, but this is a, a plot point in the first episode of the show because Richard and Big Head go to see um, Peter Gregory do his little Ted talk and he does his Ted talk where he said, he said that he's going to give a hundred thousand dollars to people who agree not to go to college, which is asinine, but he does his talk and the guy in the audience, the hippie in the audience is yelling at him and calling him a fascist and. But it's so funny, that's what, five, six, seven years ago when that first came out, which, and it seemed like a very out there bit, um, even excluding the $100,000. But there's that point when he's arguing with the guy and saying, you know, there's people going into debt for something of, and the phrase is, uh, of dubious value. And I'm like, wow, that's the thing, though, is the philosophy degree is not a bad thing. You can get one for free, take it. But if that's going to cost you, let's, let's stop being silly about it. Let's say you go to a state school and you somehow come out with a – you get a, a BA in, in, in humanities, especially something like, say, philosophy. I mean, that's $60,000, $80,000. Let's, let's even say you get loans. So let's say you maybe it's $40,000, $50,000 for your education. Or you get, down rather, you know grants and so forth. Talk about dubious value. It's not that it's bad. It's just that that's not the – if you really – if you take all the things into account, if you do balance all of the columns, that's a crazy amount
0: of money and time for what you're getting today. I mean, it's not just what you're getting. It's like what you can – what is that – you know, it's return on investment, right? Because there's a certain amount of money you have to – But if it
1: was just a fourth of the cost, I would still – I would say it's worth it. Yeah, so I mean, I'm saying. I don't. It's, know like, if, it's like, how much should yeah. you
0: pay in versus what are you going to get out? If I exactly. if I do that's that, exactly, that's the dubious. If yeah. I could get a uh, six figure job the day I graduate with that degree, suddenly that degree becomes worth a lot more, and I'm willing to pay a lot more for it, right? But yeah, anyway, like it's it's just a, the depressing. It's another one of the things that I didn't think about growing up, but that as you learn more about the world, you think about like that that how it how it's in. The country's interest to have an educated populace like the the, the fact that we have public school which I, I learned about this in school like in social studies in like high school like public schooling why does it exist why do is it yeah. do all the children go to school well having an educated populace is good because then they can do things when they become grown-ups which keeps the country running because we have to do things right it's just the, the people who used to have those jobs yeah, eventually get they don't have those die jobs. and new people yeah. need to be able to do things so we should learn about stuff so we can do, and it all makes sense and everything, but it's like, but of course, college is different. Then now you have to go $250,000 into debt. It's like, well, but if it's good for us to learn how to do things, and it's in our own interest to educate our populace, why does that stop at high school? It's like, well, you know enough to work on the farm then. It's like, well, but most people don't work on farms now, so maybe, uh, it's just so depressing to think about, like, that it just becomes sort of written in stone, like, well, you know, we have state schools which are cheaper and we help fund a little bit, but we don't want to only fund them too much. And obviously the administrators need most of that money anyway. So we can't really pay teachers for that. And then private institutions will extract as much money as possible from the rich people and anyone they can give us to take out loans. And it's like, wait, what happened about educating the populace? Wasn't that, is that a good thing or is it not a good thing? It's like, well, we can't do it for free, but all these other countries Mm -hmm. do it. Well, they're, you know, not in America, I guess it's just, I don't get depressed thinking about like, I, I would love it if we could all, we, we college educated people the same way that we public school educate them, but it, it seems like everything's going the, the wrong direction. And they're like, well, have we thought about not having public schools K through 12? Maybe that could be for profit too.
1: <laughs> oh, right. Please stop. Or they could just be, you know, they could be sponsored or
0: something like yeah, that. Yeah, just everyone could go to religious schools. It'll <laughs> be fine. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and
1: like it's when we, when we talk about this stuff, it's easy to get a little bit silly about it, but, um, I don't know why people respond to these things. I don't know why people quote tweet these things. Everybody just get off the internet. It's killing you. But the one that was going around a couple of days ago about the idiot thing in, um, oh God, where was it? Some Probably an online public. But the person who's saying like, you know, was it, it was the one about like you, you should get a master's degree in like social media or something to hire like a, but it was just one of those like, it was one of those pronouncement sort of like clickbait things and everybody was going off on it um anyway just the idea being that, like oh yeah go spend a bunch of money so you can become like a social media manager or something and um but you know i, I don't i'm not trying to i'm not trying to be silly here but there's something that i, uh, I think it was a friend of mine said in responding to this that i i think is an interesting idea this goes to our point my point anyway last week of like it's a shame that college means so many different and often conflicting things but, i mean we've talked about you know hey how about before we teach you how to code in elementary school we teach you about how to become a credulous and like intelligent news consumer or we you know learning how to vet things learning how to be smarter about being smart um but this this goes in some interesting directions i don't think you have to go i watched this youtube video just the other day of this guy who was making this very unapologetic pitch for like why we still need the great books and the classics and everybody should It felt like something from the 80s. I mean, sure, dude, I get your point. You know, Shakespeare's good. I get it. I get it. But like, why don't, I wish there was a way that we could teach people much more, when I say functional, I don't mean vocational, but I mean like practical real world skills, almost in the way that consumer math used to work, but something along the lines of, yeah, learning how to be a better consumer of the news and things like that. But another one, this person, someone mentioned was having worked in like food service or retail, which you and I have both worked in. Like, how much you learn about people where it's it's almost like the, the role that the army had at a certain point of, like, straightening you out and making you understand what it means that your desires are not the most important thing right now, and sometimes you lose no matter what, Kobayashi Maru career prep. I do still—I'm not trying to be silly, but I do sometimes think I wish more people had gotten a little bit of crummy job work when they were younger, that that becomes a kind of—it's certainly not college— but boy, is that, I mean, some of the stuff that's the most important stuff I think I learned when I was young came from crummy jobs. There's the great stuff I learned in college. I get to sound like I'm, you know, know what I'm talking about. But do you know what I mean? That there are real world things that people can learn. And I mean, modern real world things. I don't mean how to wield a hoe. I mean, stuff like the skills that you need, you could benefit from to be a smarter, more capable, more situationally aware young adult. That should not, require college
0: yeah i worry that sometimes people learn the wrong things from those kind of jobs though like we like what like we learned that oh you know uh, it, it, if you have a service job where you are forced to be the you know the retail employee or work at a food thing or whatever you learn that sometimes people are angry and they yell at you and that sometimes people are difficult but your job is you have a job to do and that sometimes it's you know you don't like it like and you come out of it hopefully having empathy uh for people who do that job because you did that job and you know what it's like so you don't end up ever end up in a situation where you come in and say i demand service and you're mean to the the waiter and you don't give anyone a tip like being in that position helps you forces you to understand that i think some people have take those jobs and learn what they come out is thinking uh this is terrible i'm above this and i can't wait until i can uh do to other people what they're currently doing to me Mm-hmm. right and so but yeah yeah, you, you yeah. Mean, you're hoping to come up with the right lesson but that and, and the, the thing about like the but i mean
1: that i mean that same that same logic is is totally applicable to every single thing you could teach somebody i, I in know college. But, but
0: that's like why you mentioned like the vocational stuff of like well let's, let's teach them how to be better consumers of media or whatever what i always think is this is probably typical silly liberal arts education type of thing but i'm like that's like i know that's the end result you want but i think the way the way into that is not to literally say Let's learn to be, uh, you know, good consumers of the news and do a quiz about figuring out fake from real, but instead teaching them foundational historical things like here are the systems that exist in our world and here are the incentives that exist within those systems to understand why. Why would this Im- information exist and be false? Like, what are the what are the underlying forces? Like, learning from right. and
1: who and who benefits? From exactly, you learn it. a
0: historical pr- perspective of the various forces in our government and our society, and how those have at various times distorted what we see in the media and to what end. And having that sort of liberal arts understanding of society and history. Let's you then. Uh, it's like, well, you never taught me how to tell fake news from real, but now suddenly I can understand when I see Fox News. I see why that exists and what is behind it and what purpose it serves and all the mechanisms, and that informs how i uh, how I interpret what i'm being given rather than just saying here's stuff and now i got to do a set of do a set of rules to figure out it's like you see the whole of society i filled
1: filled out my workbook and now i know how to watch the news well that's not necessarily you have just a broader
0: education about the world it everything becomes more tractable like it's it's the it's the the pitch for a liberal arts education of any kind is it you know we're not teaching you some specific thing we're teaching you about especially history i'm for someone who knows so little about history i'm such a such a proponent of learning from history, because as they say, like you can it's impossible not to like whatever thing you're dealing with now, just go back in history. There's some example that's essentially exactly the same thing, probably 50 times over. And the 50th time you read about someone coming in and wiping out an Indigenous people, you start to notice a pattern. You're like, okay, I can identify this pattern now. Cause this has happened so many times that it's like yeah, it's we, like boring. we we wanted their stuff. <laughs> right, exactly. And we <laughs> killed them all. And yeah, it's just it, it, simple things like that, like to the point of boredom where you just have to go through it. Like the 17th time you go through some war about this, or you learn about monarchy. It's like, eventually you'll learn what's bad about monarchies. Like the 50th monarchy you study. You're like, I get it now. All right. I, get it. I understand that it, it's so, so boring to me now that if anyone promotes this, Hey, we should have a King. You'd be like, what have you, yeah. not, have you like, let me tell you about the, they just that's you know that's that's my that's always my fantasy of like instead of a generic shipping container with cheney in it right is just taking anybody with some terrible opinion and just essentially having them forced to have like the world's best history professor teach them for like seven years like just every historical instance of whatever dumb thing that they think is awesome just over mm-hmm. and over and over again. And then these people did this and they tried to do this and guess it turned out this way. And then again, these people did this and they tried, and this is the same thing, just in-depth, detailed history. So like, you know, I guess that had to be in a shipping container too. So they, it's like, so in, in like month eight, when they're learning about this again and they and they're really learning it, like really understanding the nuances at like a college level of these historical events. And there are just so many of them it just that eventually they would have to succumb. But
1: also getting good, also getting good though at learning. There's a thread that runs through a lot of this, which is the like, okay, so I'm not trying to teach you to think like I think, I think <laughs> I'm trying to teach you to do, to, to, like I say, situational awareness. I'm not trying to teach you to know the right thing to do all the time. I'm trying to help you develop the skills to learn more intuitively. know when you should keep your eyes open what you know, and like, for example, like, if, like, here's here's one. This is something we'll teach in the first week. When somebody uh, shows up, and when you're in a in a in an urban area, like say New York City or something, somewhere where you're not you're not from there, and you're maybe even a tourist area, and somebody comes up to you and they're very gregarious and smiley, or maybe they're very emotional in some other ways. Like, how how do you learn that that's an unusual relationship, and that you should you should be aware of what's happening around you? for example. That's maybe a silly idea. I can't teach you how to watch TV in a way that makes sure you only pick up things that are true. That's insane. Like, almost everything, that, that, at least in my, if I go through and I really comb through all my lessons of food service and my lessons of retail and my lessons of adult life, it all sounds like privileged Ayn Rand or or basically somewhat related, some kind of like cultural inculcation. And that's not what I'm really ultimately When I say, what do you learn from food service and retail? I see, I sound like Ben Shapiro, but you learn it's very rarely about you, which is a good thing to learn when you're a teenager. Not necessarily when you're a baby, not when you're a little kid, maybe not when you're even a senior citizen, but when you're 14, a a few opportunities to learn that it's rarely about you uh, can be super valuable. And, uh, And what I mean, and now again, as a guy who never had to put up with like, say sexual assault at work, this is easy for me to say, but it's a fairly low stakes environment in context, for me to be a busboy and get stiffed by these people, well, you start to notice a pattern of the people who are stiffing you until pretty soon you realize, oh, wait a minute, I'm getting better at realizing when these people first walk in, just because you're gregarious and give me a buck when you come in does not mean, oh, you're a type maybe, or this is your MO. Like, you know what I mean? The same way you could learn to sniff out scammers a little bit. You know, I don't have, there's no way I could turn this into a coursework that would not be an Ayn Randian privileged thing. But I'm glad I got a little bit banged up at that time. I mean, it wasn't then, but I was going to be an emotional wreck no matter what. But like having to do something like, like, have you ever had one of these kinds of jobs? Like I Like occasional kind of like, not an official job, but like where somebody paid you to do something. I've had jobs where somebody just paid me to do something. Where like I've gotten, I got ripped off by, like, people who didn't pay me for mowing their lawn, and maybe they thought I didn't do a good enough job, or they just said, oh, I misunderstood how much it is, here's $2. Or digging post holes. Like, I could never get, I actually did dig post holes once for work. I I did clean up at a hardware store that was being remodeled in the middle of the night from 9 p.m. to 5 a.m. I worked cleaning up garbage in a hardware store. And then, I don't mean this as a hard luck, you know, uh, Sally uh, Sad Sack story, but I did. I do think it, it, it probably ended up making the next few years a little bit less emotionally difficult for me because I knew that, oh, sometimes things just suck. Sometimes people ask things of you that are not possible. Sometimes you are expected to do things of which you are not capable. capable And like, I don't know, like, uh, I don't know how you put that into a course, but I think that can be kind of valuable. And again, I'm not trying, I don't mean to sound like some kind of a nut who's like, you know, go cut trail or something like that. But I'm glad I learned it then rather than having to learn it when I sailed through college and walked into a fancy job. That would be the wrong time to learn something you should have learned when you were eight.
0: Yeah, it's, I feel like it's easier to learn those things when the state, like you said, when the stakes are lower in terms of like, you're still living mm-hmm. with your parents and don't actually need this money to to feed yourself, right? Because once you're in that situation as you an be adult- be disappointed, but not destroyed. Yeah, but once you're in a situation as an adult when you actually like need the money, like that's when suddenly you're willing to accept like terrible, toxic office culture because it's like, but I need this job because like, every month I have to pay rent. And, you know, it's like, yeah. all, whereas, you know, when you're a kid- I mean, it goes both ways. Like you can both understand that this is exploitive or this uh, or this is a bad boss versus a good boss. But then also, I think you, a lot of the things you learn in those types of jobs are the person who really care, cares about making the McDonald's clean, whether it's the employee or the manager or your boss or whoever it is, certain types of people will notice that that makes a difference. And being good at your job no matter what it is like why is it that this person is the manager you start to, like in the beginning it's like although well, the manager really cares that everything's all clean it's like but well, then you're like that's i guess that's why they're the manager because they're good mm-hmm. at this job and care about it and that it makes a difference especially when you're a teenager you don't care about anything you're like oh whatever what time do i get to leave Where's my paycheck oh i can't believe they asked me to do these things but you would hope that part of that experience is that you know aside from learning what a bad boss is in a low-stakes environment you might learn what what makes a good boss what makes a good employee what makes someone good at a job like like, yes. I, like I was talking about with the grades the kids who actually tried and did well in school like that there there is a reward for that that like ex- putting in an effort let's say uh can pay off in the right context and even in the some job that you think yeah. is dumb the person who does a good job at it uh you know is becomes the manager and you know eventually becomes the boss and and you see they should be the boss because they care about this and they do when they, you know, when the boss comes and shows you how to clean and they do it, they clean it like, wow, they did a good job cleaning that or they know everything about this. But, but that also that's, that's tied to stuff like me saying, and I obviously I must've
1: needed this cause I keep bringing it up, but the, it's not all about you thing. That's another one. Like I used to be very, I would like fall in love with people cause they were nice to me, not fall in love. You know what I mean? Like, oh, this boss is really nice to me or You know what I mean? And again, who benefits when you start to realize that there are people in your life who are nice to you, not because they not even because they like you. It could be because like they're running some kind of a scam or they're, you know, and I'm not saying you should become mistrustful of people, but just because that one manager who has higher expectations for how you clean, that does not make them a bad person because see also chapter one, it's not really always about you. And that the people who might end up having a career that you find totally baffling because they expect people to do their job and show up on time, like it that's a thing that may not you may not develop you may never develop admiration for that person, but maybe you can at least eke out a little bit of respect for that person when you get a little bit older and realize that, well, that was chapter one, it's not always all about me. I don't, I don't know.
0: Yeah. I mean, or, or at least College it'll let you stupid. know, uh, this is not my passion, but in whatever thing that I want to eventually do, I should have the same, I should take it, put in the same amount of effort and take it with the same amount of seriousness as this person showed me how to mop the floor.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then, but like, again, though, I mean, I can't get off this one point, but the whole, like, just because someone seems nice, may mean, that doesn't mean they have your best interests in mind. That's, that's a weird thing to uncouple yourself from if you're like as needy as I am. And when I realized that like they're, the problem is that there are people in life who will be terrible to you just because they're, they're terrible to everybody. There's other people who will be terrible to you because they've singled you out for a certain kind of abuse. And there's other people, you got the Gunnery Sergeant, Sergeant Hartman of the world who, you know, it took me three viewings of that movie before I really appreciated that he wasn't just there, he wasn't being abusive because he was a horrible person. It's because he didn't want them to die in Vietnam. And I think you can, because it's Kubrick, I think you can run that lots of different ways in your head. But as I sit here today, Gunnery Sergeant Hartman, not a great guy, maybe not a nice guy, but like if he was too nice to you at Paris Island and let you eat all the donuts and leave your footlocker unlocked, there's a pretty good chance you're not going to have what it takes to stay alive in that impossible situation.
0: And he knows that. Although I would argue there may be superior means to that particular end. What are, you, what, are you, what are you telling me? You saying you should be the one who trains Marines? No, I'm just. I, I feel get, like. I feel get, like. Get real, real military my Get off my obstacle, John. Real military training has more empathy than that, <laughs> and and achieves the same goals. Well, it's like we used to say at New College: we're not looking for a well-rounded
1: student; we're looking for a well-rounded class. Mm-hmm. And so, anytime we try to talk about which I think is,
0: I think that's so goddamn smart, but, but, but the in scales the context from of war that means some of you will be cannon fodder.
1: No, I don't know. Well, maybe. I mean, I'm not the biggest fan of the military or war, as, again, previously mm-hmm. stipulated. But what I'm saying is, and I'm avoiding the the sometimes too sexist family uh, analogies, but, uh, yeah, it would be really uh, oversimplistic to say you need a mom and a dad. You need a lot more than that. And you you do need, like, a super team of people in your life at various times doing different things. But, I mean, there's something special about running into people, especially in a way that it may take decades to realize, but people who obviously are, you know, maybe kind to you, they seem smart, they treat you with, they treat you more uh, as a person uh, than, uh, say, other people of that authority group do, but it's people who are not afraid to hold you to a certain standard and sort of expect a lot of you but also then give you the resources. Um, I guess I'm, this is turning into like a Mr. Tibbs thing, but uh, you know, having those people around and having a super team of those people can be really great. If everybody's there to say, if everybody's always there to say they're there, um, the world was mean to you, that's not any more useful than somebody who's always there to say, well, of course you failed, you're a terrible person and you're totally incapable. What are we going to talk about for college next time? Are we going to talk, talk about standardized testing? You you teased me in, uh, with that at, at one point.
0: Will we ever talk about the, the the terror and and the horror of standardized testing? We will talk about standardized testing, and also maybe by then I'll have more to talk about related to my one kid who's preparing for college right now and who has taken Ooh. some standardized tests and get that POV. Uh, you know, because obviously we both did it ourselves, but now I have my oldest kid do it as well. So we will we will get about talk about that in a future show.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I I would like. To go in with an open heart uh on the idea that there are some things where testing and the preparation for it are a good thing. Because my gut is that a lot of that stuff is kinda of hot garbage. I mean <laughs> I'll save it for the show. Tests
0: are nothing. Testing is everything. No that way. It was that's Eisenhower wrong, that said you know.
1: that. Yeah. He he called it the he has four quadrants. You know, you know John Dickerson mentioned me in his book?
0: I did not know that. The only reason I know who I mean, John now Dickerson you know. is is because of you. Hmm. Maybe you should mention John Dickerson in your book. Too soon. I have to write a book too soon. (laughs) You win this one.